Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Now, I know you think Simon's speaking today, but he's not. It's me. So I'm going to welcome myself to the stage. <laughs> oh, I haven't got my pointer. Is it? Oh. You know, I'm really good with these. <laughs> today we are continuing. Have I got to do something? Oh, beautiful. Today we're continuing our series called Overflow. Um, last week, Simon looked at the church in Macedonia, uh, which the Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 8 to 9. And despite their poverty, they overflowed in their generosity, didn't they? In their financial gift to the church that were struggling in Jerusalem. And we talked all about how they were generous people. And we began, began to explore this whole principle of living lives of overflow cascading blessing into our community and those around us. And as God pours in, we pour out. We talked about increasing our giving, not our living. And it's our theme, and it's this theme that I want to look at more today. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, let's turn to Luke 12. And we're just going to read from verse 13 to 21. It will be on the screens, but if you want to read along with it. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place. To store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but he's not rich towards God. Mm. So just think of the scene. At the beginning of this chapter, it tells us that Jesus is talking to a crowd of thousands of people. And he's been addressing what are called eschatological themes, which means end time themes. And he's been both warning and encouraging people that they're to be on their guard against hypocrisy, pretending to be one thing, but then being another. They are to put fear in perspective, Remembering who is really in charge. Jesus encourages them to depend on the Holy Spirit for everything and live courageous lives for God. And he's doing all of this, you know, deep, deep sharing with these thousands of people, really encouraging them. And then out of the crowd, someone asks Jesus to sort out a family dispute. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This man is looking to Jesus to be an arbiter or or a judge which is someone who, an arbiter, just responds with this warning. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In the message, it says, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. 
Jesus is warning the crowd against covetousness, which is a strong desire for material possessions, or more likely in this case, a strong desire for someone else's possessions. And the 10th commandment that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai was, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Basically, don't lust after your neighbour's stuff. Don't look to the left or the right and see what someone else has got and say, oh, I really want that. And obviously, it's not normal for us to be looking for oxes and donkeys, although some people might be jealous of some alpacas that will be arriving soon at some people's houses. They might look over the fence and wish they had, uh, is it five alpacas? To start. To start. But normally, we're not looking oxes. What kind of things would we look at and covet, do you think? Cars. Cars. Who? Diamonds. (laughs) Sorry, it's me. (laughs) Houses. TVs, lots of things. So we can put it in this context and the words are still true. Don't look at what someone else has got and covet it and think, I want that. This this commandment clearly shows us, though, that God doesn't promise parity or equality with others. Otherwise, he wouldn't say it. If we're all going to have the same, there'd be no need to say, don't look over there and covet what that person's got. But he does warn us not to be jealous. He encourages us into a life of generosity instead of being jealous with everything that God has given to us. And to covet is to desire more than what God has already given you, what's been allotted to us. We said last week that some of us have small cups and some of us are given larger cups. But Jesus says life doesn't consist in the abundance of what you possess. The value of your life is nothing to do with what you have or what I have. Our value is in being children of God, the fact that Jesus bought us with his blood, that we're children of the King of Kings. That's our identity, not in the things that we have or in what we own. What matters to God regarding our wealth and our possessions is, are we overflowing with generosity to other people and to the places around us? Are we overflowing with generosity with everything that we've been given? Not what someone else has been given, what we've been given. So the man in the crowd is looking to Jesus for some kind of parity, fairness. He's saying, come on, Jesus, can you just tell them all that it's, it's right that we have the same thing? But instead, Jesus talks about generosity. So in the story that Jesus then goes to tell, because he loves to tell a story, there's a rich, successful man who's doing really well. He's got an abundant harvest. So he's got overflowing crops and lots of fruit. And, you know, there's a call on the life of every follower of Jesus to be fruitful, It says in John's Gospel, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The word much means abundant, the same thing. And the man in the story faced the question that we all face when we look at the fruit in our lives, in our hands. What shall I do with the fruit that God has given me? And again, the man at this point had choices, and the same choices that we have. Do I keep it or do I release it? Do I stockpile or do I scatter? Do I get a bigger cup or do I start to overflow? The rich man in the story is stressing because he said, I've got no room to hold all the stuff that I've got coming, all the harvest. I've got no room for it. So he's starting to get anxiety and that leads to greed. 
So his abundance is leading to stress and greed, when it should have been releasing generosity and freedom to him. And the truth is, our stuff has gravity. The more we keep for ourselves, the more stuff that we amass, the more gravity comes into play. The attraction or pull of our possessions gets stronger. And that's really hard, because the man in this story is already rich, yet he's worrying about losing his stuff. Where am I going to put it? How am I going to contain it? He says that he hasn't got enough room for all of his stuff. And he's panicking. And if our lives consist of just getting more and more stuff, then the gravity of that is going to have an effect on our lives. The gravity will increase the more we get. Because we find ourselves in orbit going around our money and our possessions rather than around God, who should be the centre. But overflowing in generosity will break the gravity of that materialism. Because there's nothing wrong in having things. Please hear me right. There's nothing wrong with having money and wealth and abundance. But that abundance needs to spill into a life of generosity and overflow, which will weaken the grip of um, that pull with those possessions. So it's what we do with them that it's, that's the important thing and whether God is at the centre of our decisions. And in truth, some of the happiest people that you know are followers of Jesus who are not in the grip of materialism. I don't know if you know anybody like that. You know, God has really blessed them, but they're overflowing with generosity. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And I think every time we overflow in generosity, it breaks the power of that more culture that we live in. I would say that the rich man's heart was getting darker and this stuff was getting a grip on him and he was turning him to be a selfish man. His perspective was all wrong. He's worrying, saying, where can I store my crops and my fruit? Because he believed that what he'd got was his. He'd sown the fields, I guess, and he thought that everything he'd amassed was his to make a decision on. And I think this is a common belief that we as followers of Jesus fall into. We forget where the source is and we start to think that everything we own is ours and it's ours to make the decision on what we do with it. See, the wealth was only supposed to be passing through. In truth, the rich man was a steward of what God had given him. He was a tenant on God's land, but he'd missed all of that and he was just focusing on himself. Because nothing really belonged to him. It was all being loaned, as everything is to us. The prophet Hosea rebukes the nation of Israel in Hosea chapter 2, saying, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen, intended to cover her naked body. God is saying in that passage, I was the one who gave. I was the one who supplied everything. I lavished, it was my corn, my wine, my wool and my linen. And if we separate the gift from the giver, we're on dangerous ground. And it's not healthy for us to think that everything we own is ours. The rich man in the parable continues down this path um, and he says, this is what I'll do. And if we fall into that pattern saying, "Mm, this is what I'll do, what have we left out? We've completely taken God out of the equation and we're raising ourselves above God. We're taking God off the throne and putting ourselves on the throne. And if we're on the throne, where is God? 
Because actually there's only room for one person. If Jesus is number one in your life, then he must be on the throne in every single area. And I think it's very subtle how we often dethrone Jesus and put ourselves on the throne. Even if it's for a short time of the day, we go, hmm, I think I probably know a bit better. I think I'll just hop onto the throne. You don't mind, do you, God? Just, can you just step down, please? Because I'm not sure you could make this decision better than I can. And I think if we're honest, we do that all the time. But money is a big area, which is hard for all of us to really say to God, what am I doing with my money? What do you want me to do with it? So I just want to encourage you, because it's a powerful scheme of the enemy, to get us to dethrone God. That's what happened in the garden, and it's still happening today, where, God just, where the enemy just whispers to us, God doesn't know best. You know best. Why don't you make that decision? So I want to challenge us today, which isn't exactly about generosity, but in all of our life and in every area, I want you to think about whether you are taking God off the throne and putting yourself on the throne in any areas. Are you saying, this is what I'll do, and you're making a decision without involving God, without any regard, actually, for what your Heavenly Father is saying? Are we listening to God, and are we obeying once we've heard? Jesus' brother James warns us against this in his letter to the churches. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say... If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Sobering words. So we're called to partner with God's heart, not our desires. God's desires, not ours. That's who we're supposed to be partnering with. And our responses to everything actually in life, but we're talking about our possessions today and what we've got, should be, God, what do you want me to do? Just a question, God, what do you want me to do? Rather than, hmm, I think I'll do this. And it, is, it does involve making a switch in our hearts, and it takes practice to do that. I'm not standing here saying I do that all the time, by the way. I'm just aware, actually, how much I do the opposite and take God off the throne and carry on my life making my decisions and I want to encourage us all to be mindful of that this week in Ephesians 5 verse 9 you'll know this it says in every single part of our lives we are to find out what pleases the Lord and I'm not adding to scripture but I would say after that and then do it because there's no good just finding out is there we can all find out great I found out what pleases the Lord thanks bye And actually, that's, again, something that us as Christians often do. We know, we find out, we get wise counsel, maybe, but then we do what we want to do. So finding out what pleases the Lord is not important. We need to act on it. When God has spoken, we must obey. And there's real blessing in obedience. The man in our story had got perfectly good barns, but in his head, they were no longer big enough to contain everything that he'd he'd amassed. And rather than overflow, he reasoned that he was going to tear them all down and build bigger ones. He said, then I'll say to myself, literally, I'll speak to my soul, that means, and my spirit. Do you have plenty of grain laid up for many years? Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. You can see where he's going with this, can't you? 
His hope was in his possessions. And once he'd contained them all, he'd tore down his barns, build bigger ones, stored it all up. Oh, relief. Then I can relax, eat, drink and be merry. He really thought that his possessions would make him happy. And again, we, are, we can look at this and think, oh, yeah, silly man. But I think deep down, we often think that the more stuff we have, the more stuff we can put around us, our security, that will make us happy. And I'm not saying that's not part of life. Of course it is. We live in a world where we have to have things. But that should not be where our security comes from. So in this story, who has become the source? Who, who does the man think is the source of all his stuff? Himself. Whose voices are being listened to? Himself. And who has become God? Himself. So you can see how this has not helped this man. He's become a totally self-absorbed in all of his thinking and his decisions. He thinks he's the one who's done the work, so all the stuff's his. He thinks he's the source. He will make his decisions, and he's the one that he's listening to. So this is why he makes this decision to tear it all down and build bigger barns. The rich man had become the centre of his own universe, which is very dangerous. And then he decides that what he's going to do is he'll sit back once he's done it all without a care in the world and everything's going to be all right. The story doesn't go like that. He thinks that's what's going to happen. Jesus declares him a fool, which in the Greek translates as mindless, ignorant, egotistic, unbelieving. Because he tells him that um, his life, his soul which is the same Greek word as myself. You know, and he said he's going to tell myself, God's going to take his soul. He says the rich man thought he could keep everything for himself, but he couldn't. And that night, his life was demanded from him. And you, when you read that, you're like, oh, that's quite a... Can you imagine all these people hearing that? And he's trying to teach them about generosity and trying to say, your hope is not in your possessions. Don't just think about how you can get bigger cups, if you like, the more you get. Think about a life of generosity. Because his abundance was no use to him at that point. Because we've said before, you can't take it with you. And at that point, the man was not thinking at all about eternity. He was thinking about right there and then. What have I got to do to look after this wealth and make myself happy? And God said, your life's going to be taken away from you. What good is that going to be then? And you can imagine all these thousands of people thinking, mm. hopefully, as you're thinking that now. Jesus is telling us that we need to live with a heavenly perspective, not an earthly perspective. And there's a great man called Randy Alcorn. So Randy Alcorn wrote the book The Treasure Principle. He wrote other great books about money too. And he says this, Jesus takes that profound truth, you can't take it with you, and adds a stunning qualification by telling us to store up treasure for ourselves in heaven, he gives us the breathtaking proposition, which I call the treasure principle. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. It's that simple. And if that doesn't take your breath away, you're not understanding it. Anything we try to hang on to here will be lost. But anything we put into God's hands will be ours for eternity. If we give instead of keep, if we invest in the eternal instead of the temporal... We store up treasures in heaven that will never stop paying dividends. Whatever treasures we store upon earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasures we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. Such powerful words to just basically encapsulate everything I'm saying. 
And Randy uses the analogy of a Dostner line, and we have used this before a couple of years ago, but we want to play it again because it's so powerful. So just have a look at the screens. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Why is he telling them don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth? Because they're not going to last. It's not simply that it's the wrong thing to do. It's the stupid thing to do. But Jesus says, turn it around. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then if you know me, you're going to heaven. Then every day of your life, if your treasures are in heaven, you're getting closer <coughs> to your treasures instead of moving away from your treasures. He who spends his life moving away from his treasures has reason to despair. He who spends his life moving toward his treasures has reason to rejoice. This life is just a dot. And from that dot extends a line. And that line is going to go out forever. We all live in the dot. But if we're smart, we're not going to live for the dot. We're going to live for the line with the people of God. God who will live forever. People who will live forever. His word which will live forever. So live your life now while you're in the dot. Enlighten the line, investing in the line. What's going to matter after you die? Isn't that great? Really challenging. So, as I said, Randy uses the analogy of the dot and the line. And our lives have two phases. There's the dot, which is our life on, on the earth. It begins and it ends. And then there's the line, which stretches out into eternity forever. A short-sighted person lives for the dot only. They just live for the now. They live for the dot and in the dot. But a person with heavenly perspective tries to live with the line in mind, for the line. And I think sometimes we get so focused on the dot, on the here and now, that we forget about the line. We forget about what this actually is all about. We lose sight of heaven. We lose sight of eternity. Life gets hard and we shrink and we just focus on the dot. Because that line represents dwelling with our Father forever and it should be something that we're mindful of all the time, but it's so difficult to keep that heavenly perspective and so we just shrink, like I said, and and look down at the dot and all the decisions we make then are for the now because the now is shouting out to us when God is there in heaven waiting for us and actually eternity is way longer than the dot. And the rich man in the story that Jesus talked about, he was living in the dot and for the dot, wasn't he? He was totally absorbed in the here and now and amassing his wealth and then relaxing once he'd got it all stored up. But as Jesus said, we're not called to be rich for ourselves. We're called to be rich towards God. And our generosity has a direction. It is towards God. And he's the source of our ability to be generous. And like I said, this is not about being um, anti-wealth or money because everybody has their own story and what they have and that's totally fine. But what we do with what God has placed in our hands is crucially important because if we are just amassing things for the sake of it to make ourselves feel better because we feel like that's where our value comes from, that is where it's wrong. God wants us to be rich towards him and other people. And like I said, this word overflow has come to us prophetically that God wants us to be a church which is overflowing in so many areas, but it has to start with us as individuals. 
Last week we paused and Simon did a section called How It Works, where we looked under the bonnet of the church. So we're going to just do that again. I'll remind you what he said last week, for those who weren't here. Uh, He told us that we're independent, so we don't have any external um, churches or bodies funding us. Everything we have is raised from us, not from an external body. Uh, We have a huge history of generosity in this church. The church is 90-odd years old, and what you're sitting in today is because of huge generosity from the people that have gone before and some of the people that are here today. Many people tithe, give 10% of their income, and some people excel in their generosity. And I just want to go back to many people tithe and just say from our perspective, you may have heard this before, I'm not apologising. So Simon told you last week that we have always tithed and I I actually sort out all the money in our family and do all of our finances. Yeah, for the last 30 years we have chosen to tithe on our gross income. Some of you may not have heard that before, but actually what you earn is your gross income. Just because the taxman takes money before you see it does not mean that you haven't earned the sum that is on your pay packet. You can find the gross income if you look for it. So we've always tithed on our gross, believing that's what God has put into our hands. Not shared with the tax man, God put our gross income into our hands and we've chosen to give 10% of that in faith that God would use it and because we believe that's what he asked us to do. On top of that, we support a number of different charities monthly, so our money goes out on top of our 10%. And then on top of that, we try to listen to God to say, where do you want us to be generous? Now, please hear me right. I'm not saying that to say, well, aren't we great? Aren't we great? We give all this money. We don't give all this money because we don't have all this money but I'm just trying to say our principle of how we have lived our lives all of our married lives and there have been many times when we have not had enough money to do normal things coming here was a huge financial sacrifice for us but because we'd built up this pattern of trusting God with our money and being over generous we knew that God would look after us and I can honestly say in all of our married life God has completely looked after us in our finances But it's not like you give this and you will get exactly the same back. It doesn't work like that. Sometimes God chooses to bless you back with a financial gift. Sometimes it comes in other ways and you just know that God is with you and is pleased of what you've chosen to give, even if it hurts and it's sacrificial and God just smiles at you and you're just pleased and he's pleased. So I just want to encourage you. As I said, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying it because it should be the principle and the life which we all live by. Our money is not ours. It is given to us by God. He's the source and he wants us to choose to live a generous lifestyle. So always be listening. God, where do you want me to be generous? Where do you want me to give? And then, like I said before, don't just find it out. You then have to act on it. And I'll tell you, it's an audacious prayer because God will answer that because he's just waiting. Because someone said, you know, the hardest conversion is your wallet. And I think it's true. It's a hard thing for us to really trust. Is God really going to make up the difference? Surely this is mine. But I can promise you, we have learnt over the years, it is not ours. And the more you give, the more you will receive in lots of ways. So I'd just please be encouraged today. Go home and take stock of your finances. Are you tithing for a start? Maybe that's a bridge too far for you. Tithing is 10%, by the way, for those who don't know. But maybe that's a bridge too far. Maybe you just need to start somewhere and build it up. But this church does not run on fumes. As Simon said last week, £28,000 a year it costs us just to put the heating and the lights on to make the building run. And we, you know, are the people who are supporting this. And we haven't finished yet. We've got to go into phase three. There's so much more to do. Anyway, I'm going off trail, but that's my challenge um, to all of you to go home and take stock. What am I doing with what God has placed in my hands? Because he's the source, and this is just entrusted to me to be a channel out to everyone else. 
Anyway, moving on. This week, under the bonnet, uh, just want to say that regular, consistent, traceable giving really helps us. What do I mean by that? If we know who you are and you're giving, like in a standing order... Um, or you write on the envelope if you give cash, that really helps us because if you're a taxpayer, we can claim for every £1, the government gives us another 25 pence, which is the one good thing the government are actually doing. It's not done by this government. It's been going on for years, so we'll (coughs) ignore that. Um, But, yeah, that is still something that happens. So for every £1 that you give us, if you're a taxpayer and we know and you've told us and you filled the gift aid form and we can trace your giving, we get another 25p, which is massive, In church budgets, that is a lot of money. And we're really grateful to those of you who give traceably and have allowed us to claim that gift aid. Um, Riverside, this building, the whole site, was a £2.2 million project. For those of you who don't know that, who haven't been around maybe for that long, that was a huge undertaking for the group of the size of the people that it was when that vision first started to be talked about. Absolutely huge. Um, It was funded by many of you, many people who've gone before you. There were savings. They sold the old church. So I don't want you to think that just because you're sitting in a nice venue, it's all lovely and we're a rich church. No, we're not. We still have debt, £620,000, which we're trusting that we will be able to pay off. And God is great. But like I said, we've got phase three, which we've not even started. And we are desperate because we feel that phase three will fulfil what God wants us to do with the next vision, which we'll talk about on Vision Sunday um, on March the 3rd, just throwing that in. Um, So, yeah, Riverside was a massive project and we need more money in order to do the next phase. And we want to continue to grow in generosity. So as a church, we have a set-apart fund. You may have heard us talking about this, which is basically the fund where we set aside 10% of everything that comes in to give away to to things other than Riverside. It goes to outside projects. So as a church, we want to do exactly the same principle. What God interests us to, we want to be giving it out. And we want that pot to increase. We want it to be 11%, 12%, 13% every year getting bigger and bigger so that we are known as a church that extravagantly gives. Because we just believe in that principle. So, um, so just so you understand, we have a set-apart fund. That's a little bit about... So if you haven't decided yet whether you want to give to the church, I'd really encourage you to pray about it. We have finance flies if you want to fill a standing order form in. Like I said, traceable giving really does help us budget. Um, and if you are a taxpayer, please do fill the gift aid part in, and that really helps us too. So to sum up... God doesn't want us to build bigger barns. He wants us to build bigger hearts within ourselves. God wants our hearts to be so big that they can contain everything that God has given us, but then they overflows out into our workplaces and our towns. And he doesn't need our money. Please remember that God does not need our money. He owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our money, but what he does want is our hearts. And that to God is always his pursuit. So he doesn't need our money and he's scratching his head going, oh gosh, if Riverside don't give, they'll never get phase three done. He doesn't need our money, but he does look at our hearts and that's what he's calling us to do. And being rich towards God should actually touch every single area of our lives. And only we can decide what that richness looks like and how we choose to give. It can be in our time as well. You know, God might say, I know you're really shattered, but I would like you to go and help that person or or whatever. You know, being rich towards others with what God has given us is so important. And remember, when we seek first his kingdom, everything else is added to us. So we have no need to covet, to stockpile. 
As Jesus said, we're worth far more than sparrows and he can look after them and he can look after us. And God is looking for kingdom trusted rulers. That's what he's looking for, who can reflect his character here on earth. And he's a lavish father. He's our model. He lavishes on us. He lavishes his love. And he's trying to teach us to lavish his love through lots of different ways on the people around him because we are the representatives of him. So let's be people who embrace generosity in everything that we do, increasing our giving and not our living. Let's step into the promise of what we feel God is saying to us about this overflow word, that it's going to come out of Riverside and overflow into the area where we're living. Let's step into that promise as a church to every person we meet, to every business that we partner with, to every group that comes into Riverside, every person that comes into Riverside, overflowing into the places where we live and work, overflowing into the towns, overflowing into our communities and overflowing into the coastlands because that's what we believe God is saying. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.